Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 392nd show is Dr. Michael Schneider, professor of history, provost, and dean of the college at Knox College. We're going to be talking about women leaders in diplomacy across the Pacific. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. And Terry, you get to start us off. Thank you. Yes, Michael, you had mentioned earlier that women leaders could usher in a possibly a new style of diplomacy. I personally would like to see that the world's children are put first in all policy decision-making. In your opinion, though, how does our foreign policy need to be improved? Yeah, this is a, a really a kind of a critical question for, for those who really study um, the presence of women in foreign policy, because, you know, one of the things that marks the kind of discussions of foreign policy and a lot of the books that I was educated with and a graduate student is the complete and utter absence of women from the story. Um, and women are hardly irrelevant then to the operation of foreign policy. Um, uh, even if the, the diplomats are all men, a lot of the issues that we're talking about, international trade, economics, migration, these are all issues that, that are, are actually critically um, involved in um, the, the kind of production and thinking about the, how the economy functions, how the international economy functions, and how foreign policy should respond to it. Um, you know, I think one of the big insights coming out of this scholarship is to take a simple term like national security. We, we always talk about that. what's the goal of foreign policy, um, it, national security. Well, these scholars have kind of taken that term apart because national security sometimes can mean really security for the government and the people who are in political power, but may not be actually that much secure, a lot of security for those who live kind of in that, that particular um, government. So, um, perhaps one of the, the more difficult um, of examples of this to deal with is that when you have a large occupation army in a particular country, um, there may be there's frequently um, you know a, a large you know mostly male military force in a country. There is um, a profound impact on the local populace. There are some you know occasionally crimes that are committed by American servicemen or or you know whoever the occupying army is. Um, there are systems of prostitution that invariably emerge, and so these scholars have said, well, how should our foreign policy change? Well, national security needs to include everyone who's in um, that state. Um, the education of children, the provision of health care, the, um, the the security on the day in day to day lives, and so that kind of really shifts. That, that if one wants to think about how to really shift um, the, sort of the, what are the goals of diplomacy, it's that national security really is truly that. It's a kind of a national security for the health, safety, and needs of all the individuals in the population. And that has been a kind of recurring theme of the work of scholars in this area. Okay. Rick. Yeah, Michael, I uh, was thinking that you made a comment earlier about uh, uh, women's role in in, uh, in Asia in the diplomacy. With the new administration coming in, President-elect Biden is, uh, said that he's going to pick uh, half of his cabinet in key positions uh, as women uh, uh, 
in the women will take these roles. Uh, what do you foresee based on our our somewhat schizophrenic approach to Asia over the last hundred years? The likes of uh, uh, Vice President Harris, uh, Warren Kobachar, some of these other people who who may not be directly in, in diplomatic roles, but certainly will have a voice on whoever the the diplomats are that are released into Asia from the United States. Well, I think I'm going to sound a little bit like a, you know a broken record for anyone who studies kind of Asia. Um, I just hope we have we keep our attention on Asia. Like that is say, I hope we learn about it more. We get to understand it better and that we have a kind of an investment that's not quite so superficial, you know, as, you know, for the last, you know, year or so, we've been talking about things like TikTok and, and Huawei, and that's all really kind of important, but we don't really have a kind of a deeper knowledge of kind of what are the diplomatic issues among, you know, kind of East Asians, what are the relationships between the various East Asian countries? You know, we, we identify, we're, we're kind of quick when we look at Asia to kind of identify the problems that are kind of seem most pressing to us, but don't really take into account kind of what are the issues in the region, because being a successful partner is, is that kind of broader based awareness of, of, um, what's going on throughout the region. So I think, you know, these individuals, um, some of the individuals that you mentioned and, and the fact that there will be, you know, um, individuals from kind of a variety of backgrounds and different pathways, that has been kind of the, the, the nature of this, you know, more, you know, these individuals in, in our political circles, they come from a variety, you know, much wider um, variety of backgrounds. I think they could potentially make more connections with different audiences. I, I just a small snapshot here. Uh, Bill Clinton, I was in Japan when, when Bill Clinton um, was um, elected president. He came to a visit um, in uh, Japan, and he did one of these little kind of town halls that, that seem pretty common nowadays. You know, we have town halls in the presidential debates. But he did a, a, a town hall with all sort of college-age kids in um in Japan. And it was phenomenal. That is, people are sort of like, wow, you know, it's like talking face to face, more kind of personal conversation. Sure, and, sure. And, and sure, they had to translate and things like that. But it was that kind of, I don't want to say exactly grassroots, but kind of person to person connection um, can strengthen our foreign policy in East Asia. And that's kind of what women leaders have represented. Again, it's very easy to kind of stereotype what role women are actually playing in this this region, but certainly one could say that, um, as a general rule, this kind of cultural diplomacy builds more of those kind of person-to-person, deeper um, understanding of, of of how the regions interact and how they're similar and how they have some you know shared needs and values. Jay, um, Michael, it, it occurred to me for the last four years, um, the diplomatic branch of of the government has really struggled. Uh, President Trump uh, refused to fill positions. He tended to ignore positions. Um, He, uh, even more so than usual, tended to pick um, cronies as as, uh, individuals, people without um, sort of those diplomatic backgrounds. Um, But is there a silver lining in that he left so many positions unfilled that, that there's been sort of a bubble created that may be um, able to be filled by President-elect Biden and, and make a little bit more of, a, of an inroad or a, um, a, a, a 
impact on uh, the the next generation of uh, American diplomats? Yeah, I you know. I- I mean, the, the possibility of kind of a new approach or a refreshed approach is certainly um, uh, desirable. I, I think it has to be counterbalanced by a certain concern about the loss of talent um, from the foreign service ranks that we've seen, and, and that foreign policy or, or you know, kind of the, the foreign service it be, just becomes elevated in all of our eyes as um, a kind of an important branch of government. And it hasn't, you know, when we have foreign policy that looks a little bit either driven almost solely by military considerations on the one hand, or when it becomes a little bit of a, a kind of a circus, um, then there's less of a role for kind of the foreign um, service uh, uh, war, uh, staff. And frankly, anyone who's – I've spent time in various you know diplomatic missions around the, United, around the world, and – I'm going to say something that anyone who's spent time in them will know already, which is that the people who make it through the Foreign Service test, who stick their, you know, stick their necks out and serve in you know, these missions all around the world, they are fiercely dedicated to the United States. They're fiercely dedicated to the work that they do. They are super smart. They have been through very difficult trainings and very difficult postings. They don't do that work lightly. Um, and I think if there's anything we can say about you know recent years is we you know when we disparage kind of the State Department or the Foreign Service, we're forgetting how how these people have dedicated their lives to supporting the United States, and they they do bring like enormous skills. Um, and it's it's hard when you meet a Foreign Service officer not to be impressed by their commitment, their training, their professionalism. Okay. We would like to thank our guest for the 392nd show, Michael A. Snyder, professor of history provost and dean of the college at Knox College, who talked to us about women leaders in diplomacy around the, across the Pacific. The History Bus for today's show were Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.